Welcome to Anchor Point, where we believe that the next 30 minutes could change your life forever. So join us to consider the greatest message ever heard, the good news of the gospel, as well as sound scriptural teaching for believers, all based on the Word of God, the anchor for our souls. The setting for today's message is the small town of Cana in Galilee. It was in a bustle with preparations, invitations, food, flowers, decorations. You see, this was a special day in the life of a certain happy couple. It was their wedding day, and they had invited a very special guest indeed, the Lord Jesus. And what a difference he made. In today's message, speaker Jack Hay looks at lessons we can learn from the Gospel of John, chapter 2. First, about the person of Christ. Who is he? What is he like? And secondly, the need for us to trust and obey his word. John, chapter 2, and we'll read at verse 1. And the third day there was a marriage in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. And both Jesus was called and his disciples to the marriage. And when they wanted wine, the mother of Jesus saith unto him, They have no wine. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, what have I to do with thee? Mine hour is not yet come. His mother saith unto the servants, Whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. And there were set there six water pots of stone, after the manner of the purifying of the Jews, containing two or three firkins apiece. Jesus saith unto them, Fill the water pots with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he saith unto them, Draw out now, and bear unto the governor of the feast, and they bear it. When the ruler of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine, and knew not whence it was, but the servants which drew the water knew, the governor of the feast called the bridegroom, and saith unto him, Every man at the beginning doth set forth good wine, and when men have well drunk, then that which is worse. But thou hast kept the good wine until now. This beginning of miracles did Jesus in Cana of Galilee, and manifested forth his glory, and his disciples believed on him. You'll notice the chapter begins with, and the third day. Now right through chapter 1, John has been speaking about different days in the life of the Lord Jesus, the day following, and the next day, and so on. And now I take it possibly it's the third day after the last day of chapter 1. And this is what the writer of the Hebrews calls the days, the days of his flesh. God was manifest in the flesh, and our Lord Jesus was eternally and essentially divine. He dwelt in what Micah called the days of eternity. Now these weren't literal days, but now he's in circumstances where like you and me, he's living a day at a time, and certain things happen one day, and other things happen the next day, and indeed he'll speak about his hour. It's an amazing thing to think about the one who was eternal in his being, and now he's in circumstances where he's moving a day at a time. In fact, he had an age, you know. He had an age. Twelve years of age. Luke chapter 3, thirty years of age. Oh, we're confounded at the thought of the incarnation. 
that the one who was eternal in his being is now in circumstances where he has an age and he's living a day at a time. We do not understand it, but we bow and we worship. Now, again in chapter 2, three days are mentioned. Further down the chapter, the Lord Jesus says this, Destroy this temple, this inner shrine, and in three days I will raise it up again. Now, when he speaks about that, he's referring to what John calls the temple of his body. I want you to observe his language, beloved. I will raise it up again. What? The temple of his body. And you have a statement that's crystal clear with regard to the doctrine of the bodily resurrection of the Lord Jesus. But you know, there are those in Christendom who say, when the Bible speaks about his resurrection, it means that it's his influence that lives on. And then some of the cultists will tell us that he has been raised as a mighty spirit creature, and they misinterpret the word of God, put to death in the flesh, raised in the spirit, they say. Now, for one, he was not a creature and is not a creature. He's the eternal son of the eternal God. And my dear friend, he hasn't been raised as a spirit. Handle me and see, he could say. A spirit hath not flesh and bone as you see me have. We stand four square on the doctrine of the bodily resurrection of the Lord Jesus. I will raise it up again. What went into the grave came out of the grave. And we sung it earlier, up from the grave he arose. Hallelujah! Christ arose. So the three days are mentioned twice over in John chapter 2. Now on the third day there was a marriage in Cana of Galilee and the mother of Jesus was there. Do observe, the mother of Jesus, never the mother of God. You say, well, we do believe in the deity of Jesus. Indeed we do. Well, logic would say that if he's Jesus and she's the mother of Jesus, she must be the mother of God. My beloved, it is crucial to stick to the terms of Holy Scripture. The name Jesus is the name associated with the incarnation, with the days of his flesh. Thou shalt call his name Jesus. He was eternally the Son of God, but he becomes Jesus at Bethlehem. And so she's called the mother of of Jesus, and I do believe that she was the mother of Jesus. In chapter 1, you remember Nathanael is told, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and the prophets did write, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of whom? The son of Joseph? Oh, but wait a minute, he was never the son of Joseph. And it doesn't take a moment really for the Spirit of God to tidy up that misunderstanding on the part of Philip. And you hear Nathaniel saying, Thou art the Son of God. Thou art the King of Israel. And so, my dear friends, the Word of God is so careful to conserve for us the truth of the virgin birth of the Lord Jesus. And so Philip was under the misunderstanding that he was the son of Joseph, but he never was. But Mary is described as his mother, Mary the mother of Jesus. That's the way she's always described. There stood by the cross of Jesus, his mother. So the mother of Jesus was called, and his disciples too, and the Lord Jesus. Wasn't it wonderful that he went? So gracious of him. He was willing to go. My friend, in chapter 11, he wept with those who wept. In chapter 2, 
he rejoices with those who did rejoice. This is an experience that he would never have on earth, a marriage, and yet he was willing to rejoice with those who did have it. I want to tell you he was at your wedding as well, and if you're anticipating marriage, he will be at the wedding, and he was there if you're a married person. That means he was listening into the vows, vows of fidelity, vows by which you said, yes, it's till death do we part or until the Lord come. He listened to the vows. And so the mother of Jesus is there, Jesus is called, and his disciples, and then the wine failed, and the mother of Jesus said unto him, they have no wine. I do take my hat off to this woman. You know, she had never, ever seen the Lord Jesus perform a miracle. Never. The end of the chapter tells me, this beginning of signs did Jesus in Cana of Galilee. We were speaking the other evening about uh, Naaman. And again, I think about that little girl. You know, as you read Second Kings chapter 5, you would think that Elisha the prophet was healing lepers every day of the week. And yet, the Lord Jesus tells us in Luke chapter 4, there were many lepers in Israel in the day of Elisha the prophet. None of them were healed, not one. And yet that little girl had confidence that God could use the prophet to heal Naaman of his leprosy. What kind of faith do we have? Sometimes our faith is so weak and so mean. And oh, my dear friends, these people had real faith in God. And here this woman says, they have no wine. And of course, the Lord Jesus doesn't allow Mary to dictate as to what he should do. His ears were open morning by morning to listen in to dictates from heaven. And so he will not allow Mary to accelerate the purpose of God by even five minutes. Woman, what have I to do with thee? Mine hour is not yet come. By the way, he wasn't speaking disrespectfully. Could I say this to my young friends? Your parents deserve your respect. It's a cardinal commandment. Honor thy father and thy mother. It's ratified in the New Testament. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is well-pleasing unto the Lord. And every Christian young person would want to please the Lord. Here's one way you can do it. By showing respect for the parents and obedience to the parents. I suppose that the most of us have a few regrets in life. Maybe one of my regrets is that if my father said 11 o'clock, we always tried to stretch it to half past 11. You know that kind of thing? We always just tried to push them as far as they would go. And as you think back on these things, it brings a blush to the cheek. It's so important just to think about the attitude of the Lord Jesus to Mary and to Joseph when embarking on the teenage stage of life. Scripture says he went down to Nazareth and was subject to them. So here is no disrespect, but he's saying, Woman, what have I to do with thee? Mine hour is not yet come. And now his mother turns to the servants. Whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. That is a good motto for every area of life. Whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. Maybe out there in this congregation of people, there are folk who are still not saved. That's the starting point. Get right with God. But I've no doubt that out there, there are people who have been saved by the grace of God, and you've never as yet been baptized. Oh, you say the preachers have told me that it was only faith in Christ that I needed to get me to heaven. Well, that's right. They told you right. It's faith in Christ plus nothing that takes you to heaven. You don't need to be baptized in order to get to heaven. But if you're going to be obedient 
and acknowledge the Lordship of Jesus Christ in your life, you'll need to be baptized. He commissioned his apostles, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. My friend, I say to you kindly, whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. He said again, this do in remembrance of me, the loaf, the cup, this do in remembrance of me. You're saved, you're baptized, and you've never obeyed. Oh, you say, again, I've been taught, preacher, that in order to participate, I would need to be part of the fellowship. Well, they've taught you right again, because there's a spiritual order. In Acts chapter 2, you receive his word, you're baptized, you devote yourself to the apostles' teaching. That is, you've got to subscribe to everything the New Testament says. And on the basis of that, there's a fellowship formed, and you become part of that fellowship. And one of the ways in which that fellowship is expressed is in the breaking of bread, and another in the prayers. Well, you say, I'm not in the fellowship. That's why I haven't been breaking bread. Why are you not part of the fellowship? To associate with church of God demands a standard of behavior. Are you not willing to rise to the challenge of that? Could it be, beloved, that you're saying, no, I want to be free and easy to do my own thing. My dear friend, one of these days he's going to come and you'll stand at his judgment seat and he'll say, you never got baptized? No. Why did you not get baptized? Did you never read about it in the Bible? Oh, yes. Did you never hear it preached? Oh, yes. Did you never see it practiced? Oh, yes. Why did you not get baptized? And the head hangs, sheer disobedience. You never participated in the Lord's Supper? No. Did you never read First Corinthians 11? Oh, yes. Did you never sit back and observe as the Christians remember the Lord? Oh, yes. But you never did. No. Why? Sheer disobedience to the word of God. Whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. Mary gives that sound piece of advice to these servants there at the wedding at Galilee. And you know, there were these six water pots. And you might say, John had a good memory. The old fisherman. And he's thinking back over all these years, six water pots. And he remembered what they were made of. And he remembered the capacity of them. Two or three firkins apiece. How could an old man remember these tiny details so well? Well, do remember, my friend, he was writing under inspiration. The Lord Jesus had told them in the upper room that the Spirit of God would bring to mind all he'd said. And, of course, the Spirit not only brought to mind all that he'd said, but the Spirit inspired John to provide for us these tiny details. And now the Lord Jesus says to these servants, Fill the water pots with water, and they filled them up to the brim. What's this? It's not just obedience. It's total obedience. They filled them up to the brim. They were willing to go the second mile. They weren't shallow, half-hearted. They weren't the kind of people who dragged their heels. If Christ said it, they would do it. They filled them up to the brim. Sometimes we know our duty. We do it. We draw the line there. And the Lord Jesus all the time wants us to be second-mile Christians. People like Persis in Romans 16, she wasn't just like Tryphena and Tryphosa who labor in the Lord. It says of her, she labored much in the Lord. And she wasn't just like uh, many who followed the Lord. She was like Caleb who wholly followed the Lord. 
And there were people in the Bible who sought the Lord, but there were others who sought him with their whole desire. And there were folk who built in Nehemiah's day, but of one man it said, he earnestly repaired. Now what about you and me? Is there that zeal, that enthusiasm about us when it comes to obeying the word of God? And we fill the water pots up to the brim, as it were. Or could it be that we're the kind of people who read the Bible and we try to find a thousand and one excuses as to why it doesn't really mean what it's saying? It's far too extreme in this particular place. and You could hardly take that literally. And I know there are areas of the word of God that you don't take literally. I understand that. But I appeal to you, do not be the kind of person who is half-hearted in your obedience to the word of God. Saul, he said to Samuel one day, I have obeyed the commandment of the Lord. What means the bleating of the sheep? So, and his obedience was only partial, and he had to learn to obey is better than sacrifice, and to hearken than the fat of rams. Here's Abraham, Abraham, get thee out of thy kindred. Get thee out of thy land. Get to the land that I'll show thee. And he did leave out of the Chaldees, but he didn't leave his kindred. Tira went with him. And he didn't get to the land that God told him of. He stopped at a halfway house yonder at Haran. Partial obedience. And God doesn't have a single thing to say to him until he leaves the kindred, as it were, and gets to the land. And it's only then he builds his altar. And it's only then he calls on the name of the Lord. My beloved, what about you? Are you willing to allow the word of God to govern every part of your life? Like Zacharias and Elizabeth, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord blameless. They didn't pick and choose which parts of the Bible they wanted to obey. Their attitude was, if the Bible says it, we'll do it. These serpents... They fill the water pots to the brim. And now they draw out and they bear to the governor of the feast. So they bear it. They're obedient again. And maybe there are some of you in this meeting and at this time last year you were obedient to the word of God. But that hasn't been maintained and today maybe find you a disobedient Christian. I'm hoping that there are people here who will have dealings with God today You know, I've sat there at times, and the word of God has made an impact on my life. The impressions have been mighty. And then with all the chat and all the social commotion and this and that to attend to, the impressions evaporate. And I feel so much at times like the people in Hosea's day, your goodness is as a morning cloud. And as the early dew, it passes away, and impressions just seem to melt away. I'm appealing to you to be in earnest with God. You get away home to wherever you came from and get down before God and make the adjustments that may be necessary. These people were consistent in their obedience. They filled the water pots to the brim. And then as the Lord gave further instruction, they did bear and carry to the governor of the feast because God does lead one step at a time, you know. The word of God is a lamp to what? Our feet, the Bible says. It takes us a step at a time. Here's Mary and Joseph, and they're in grave danger, and the angel of the Lord tells them, you go down to Egypt, and they did it. And then now they're dead, which sought the young child's life, and Joseph's are told to arise and go into Israel. He obeys. But Israel is a relatively big place. He hasn't been told where to go to. He's just been told to go to Israel. But he goes to Israel. 
And it's only after he's taken that step that he gets further revelation. And now he's told to go to the regions of Galilee, and he obeys that step as one step at a time. I tell you this, if you don't respond the first time, God will never say any more. The sad thing about the people in Hosea's day was this, God had spoken to them so often about their idols, and it comes to this eventually, Ephraim is joined to his idols. Leave him alone. I tell you, a man is in sad case when God no longer speaks to him. And so these disciples, these servants, I should say, they draw out and they bear to the governor of the feast. And you know, the governor of the feast, he's greatly impressed with what the Lord Jesus has done. Or is he? He says to the bridegroom, Thou hast kept the good wine until now. The Lord Jesus, as it were, has melted into the background. And the bridegroom is getting credit for what the Lord Jesus did. Have you ever been in that situation? When you're the person who has done it, and yet it's someone else that's getting the praise. Sometimes at your place of work, I'm sure that you discover that. You're the man who spearheaded the project, and yet it's your boss that they pat on the back. And sometimes there are those who are toiling and working away, and they're doing it in a kind of inconspicuous way. And other people are saying, he's the man responsible. I want to say to you, don't feel put out about that. There's coming a day when he will bring to light the hidden things of darkness, and he will make manifest the counsels of the heart, and then shall every man have praise of God. And so the bridegroom gets the credit, but I do want you to notice that the Lord Jesus had made good wine. Thou hast kept the good wine until now. But the governor of the feast was a connoisseur. He was an expert in this business, and his verdict on the wine that the Lord Jesus had made was good wine. Oh, my dear friend, everything the Saviour did had the stamp of perfection upon it. Is it a blind man? The Bible says he saw clearly. Is it a dumb man? The Bible says he spake plain. Is it a man with a withered hand? It was made whole. As the other, the Bible says, Is it a boy possessed with an evil spirit? Go thou out of him, and enter no more into him. You see, it was a possibility that evil spirits could come back. The Lord Jesus taught that. An evil spirit could leave, and then he could bring back others worse than himself, and repossess them. When the Lord Jesus dealt with the thing, it didn't happen that way. Go thou out of him, and enter no more into him. A hungry crowd, they did all eat, not one left out. And they did all eat and were filled, the Bible says. Oh, let us rejoice. Everything the Savior did have the stamp of perfection upon it. What an amazing reception. The best was left for the last. And it was Christ who made the difference. You see, he still makes house calls. He's interested in every one of us. I wonder, have you included him in your plans, in your life, in your eternal future? Like the servants, like his mother Mary, are you willing to obey his word? If this or any of our Bible messages here at Anchor Point has made you aware of God's interest in you, or if you would like some literature that would help you understand these important truths, 
why don't you drop us a line at anchorpointradio at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. We're glad you were able to join us at Anchor Point today. Anchor Point is sponsored by Believers in Christ who are meeting at various gospel halls. Each of these Christian assemblies holds gospel services every Sunday, as well as other meetings such as regular prayer and Bible studies throughout the week. If you've been challenged by today's message and would like to know more about the truth of the gospel or of gathering unto the name of the Lord Jesus Christ following New Testament principles, take a look at our Anchor Point website at anchorpointradio.com. There you will find more information as well as the location, programs, and meeting schedules for the gathering center nearest you. Our Anchor Point messages are also available for listening and download at anchorpointradio.com. My name is Glenn Todd. Thank you once again for listening, and we invite you to join us again next week at the same time for Anchor Point, where we believe that Christ alone is the anchor for the soul.